Welcome to the PKN Podcast, where we give you the wrap on all things packaging. Welcome to the PKN Packaging News Podcast. My name's Grant McCarran, and once again, I'm joined by Lindy Hewson, Managing Editor and Publisher of PKN Packaging News and the host of this show. Lindy, first time for saying it for 2024. G'day, how are you doing? I'm great, Grant. I'm really super happy to be here. 2024 is going to be a pivotal year for packaging, and we are starting off with a very powerful conversation, I hope. Now, we closed 2023 on an exciting note as the Australian federal government endorsed the Solving Plastic Waste Cooperative Research Centre, or CRC. Combined with contributions from partners, the total resources available to this project are worth over $140 million, a fund that offers the Australian packaging and recycling industries a truly unique opportunity to harness academia to develop transformational circular economy solutions. Now, that might sound Uh, like fancy words from me, actually, these words come from Professor Ed Cozier, who's joining us in the studio today. Ed is the CEO and founder of Nextech. He's a renowned industry expert on plastic material recovery, and he brings his expertise to us today to tell us what's required to transform Australia's plastic waste ecosystem. Welcome back to the podcast, Ed. Hello, Lindy, and thank you for that welcome. Uh, It's great to uh, come back to your program once again. So in Australia, we have um, a unique situation where we produce packaging, we import packaging, and we then have the need to create a recycling system for a circular economy for plastics. Up until the last couple of years, we were exporting materials uh, to other countries after collection, but now we have the opportunity to create a circular economy home for these materials. So what's really needed uh, is the investment into the technologies that can actually transform plastics from an end of product back into a new raw material to displace virgin plastics. We also have a number of things that need to be changed. So not all the packaging that we use is recyclable. And so we need to start working on the process of eliminating non-recyclable packaging with new formats that are indeed recyclable. We also need to take a new view on what recyclable means. For me, the circular economy means we have to imagine every product can go back into that product once again. And this is quite challenging because much of the packaging we use is food packaging. So, and here my focus is on the short-term things that are used very widely and have a short lifetime and come back for, for recycling. And they tend to be the materials that are under focus. They're the materials that are discarded fairly quickly and uh, need to be addressed uh, through the consumer collection system. So I think those areas are the things that need need rapid attention. And we haven't solved all the technical issues around the recycling of plastics. And I might say a couple of things about uh, what the challenges are. Uh, first of all, there are, uh, there are materials that have not been recycled back to food grade beyond PET. So one of the uh, materials that is climbing up fairly quickly is the recycling of high-density polyethylene milk bottles. It is happening in Australia. and uh, We've just seen a new investment where the capacity will be doubled, so that's, a, that's heading in the right direction. Are you talking about the Circular Plastics Australia um, HDPE facility? Yes, yes, I am. So Circular Plastics Australia have, have just uh, opened a new plant 
where they'll be recycling high-density polyethylene milk bottles back into a resin, which will go back into milk bottles. So it's great to see that facility getting started and uh, providing materials for, for the market. And of course, the really big thing that has to happen is the brand owners need to take that material and put it into their packaging. And this requires quite a lot of backing of technology to assure everybody that these materials are indeed food grade and completely suitable for transformation into new milk bottles back into food contact. And what we can say is that in the United Kingdom, there have been over 42 billion bottles made over something like uh, 14 years without any problems or issues. So we know that there's a historical trend of safety and we want to see that repeated here in, in Australia. The other material that's probably missing from the recycling network uh, is polypropylene, which is very widely used. It's used in many packaging formats, so things like your yogurt tubs, soup containers, margarine, butter dishes, uh, or products like that that are very widely used, and yet we don't see a lot of uh, polypropylene being recycled and certainly not recycled back to food grade. So that, that needs to be tackled as well. And of course, the really big issue that's sitting in the background that has had everyone's attention is the recycling of flexible films. This is a, a big issue because films are used very, very widely. They're very efficient in packaging. However, uh, we haven't developed the end markets for those materials. So just in those areas, there are a series of very important technical challenges that we have to overcome in order to develop a circular economy for plastics. So let's circle back to the uh, idea or the notion of a CRC. What does a CRC do um, that you think could allow us to access some uh, solutions to the, to the situation? So the CRC stands for a Cooperative Research Centre, as you mentioned earlier. And in Australia, we have had a very strong history of bringing university research capability uh, and bring it to the industrial sphere to work on industrial problems. And this is really a great opportunity for the Australian business sector to join in with, with universities from many locations around Australia in working on some of the critical problems that we have to solve. And the problems that we have to solve are very real and practical problems. And, you know, in my view, that um, when we look at the big problems that we face in Australia, they are problems of transformation of materials, getting them into packaging, making sure the packaging works well, uh, picking up all of the blockages to a circular economy. Now, the way I believe to do that is to listen to the voice of the business world, to have them enumerate their problems, their blockages, their challenges, and then to have the universities and, and other research organisations joining in and conducting the applied research needed to bring this uh, into a proper circular economy. So um, traditionally, industry and academia have kind of worked in separate silos, let's call it. How do you propose industry should um, cross that, that bridge and um, mend that relationship or, or develop that relationship? Well, this is exactly what the CRC for solving plastic waste is, is designed to do. It actually has many industrial partners 
and university partners and research organizations joining in. And they will identify a series of projects together and they'll agree on the objectives and they'll agree on, on the work plans to deliver the, the research outcomes. So it's a perfect mechanism uh, for doing it. However, you know, I will say, um, having worked with universities over the years and, and in fact being an academic myself, universities will often want to explore blue sky research, which is completely valid, but in the case of plastics, we have a bit of a crisis on our hands because there are so many questions that are unanswered and we need to apply our resources carefully to make sure we hit our targets quickly and efficiently. We, we can see the problems when we uh, have a pro program like Red Cycle collecting film and not having an end market for it. So the businesses that could take those materials had lots of challenges and lots of questions. And so, uh, you know, I think that the universities need to take on board the challenges of the business world and start working on those at the beginning. And of course, there'll be many other issues that the Cooperative Research Centre will, will look at. So they'll look at social issues, they'll look at the education required for the community, the infrastructure that local governments use for collection of materials. They'll look at novel materials, modification of these materials, and so on. So uh, I think there's lots of scope for new research, which will be exciting for researchers, but to have it focused on solving Australia's plastic waste issues. So one of the good quotes that I pulled out from the article that you've written and everyone, you will be able to read um, its thesis on this or mini thesis on it um, in the next issue of PKN, January, February issue out mid-February. You said, we can't afford to get caught up in smaller niche projects that will divert the funding and resources right out of the project only to deliver small time results that barely scratch the surface of the wider issues. You couldn't have said it better <laughs> than that. Well, yes, I, 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 perhaps I'm a little bit blunt there, but you know we know that um, it's easy to get diverted into into some areas, and not to say that they're not important, but I just feel that we have a big crisis on our hands in terms of how we handle plastics in Australia. We're still burying lots of material. And these, of course, resources that are carbon intensive, and we know recycling those resources saves on carbon emissions. And that is really one of the, the big challenges for the planet. So we really have to look carefully at how we spend our efforts and, and we should have carbon impact as one of the metrics for the research programs, trying to solve volumes of waste and make sure we don't create a higher carbon footprint along the way as well. And of course, the other thing that will take time is to develop the infrastructure uh, in the recycling sector. And it's been very exciting for for me and my team, uh, having designed recycling plants uh, in Australia to see them being put into action, to see them going forward. And of course, we're also developing technologies that can be used in these areas. So it's been a very exciting time, but we need to take these to the large scale to make sure we are tackling the big problems. So one of the points you made when you um, discussed reframing Australia's waste ecosystem was how important it is to start addressing the way we design packaging. And you give a really good example about um, that missed the bus, um, which was a milk bottle cap for high-density polyethylene milk bottles that switched from colored to natural 
which you said is a good move, but was still made from polypropylene instead of HDPE, not a good move. Can you elaborate on that? Yes, and I guess this is what happens when people look at trends and, and try to make good changes. So in the United Kingdom, probably 12 years ago, we decided that the coloured caps that people were using were having a negative effect on the yield of, of recycling, but also it affected the colour of the materials as well. So they were using um, high-density polyethylene at that time, and um, they took the pigments to, to half the level. So they saved money, and there was a less, less of a pigmentation problem. And now we're seeing companies remove pigments altogether, which absolutely improves the yield because there's no need to colour sort and so you don't have losses later on. There's a slight shift in mechanical properties, but that's, that's all um, quite acceptable. But if you simply switch from a colored polypropylene cap to a clear cap, you have two things happening. First of all, you have then polypropylene mixed in with high-density polyethylene, which m gives us two compositions in the material, and that has a negative effect on mechanical properties. And we, when we lose, the optical recognition of the polypropylene, which is previously colored and normally could use the color to eject the particles. So what should have happened is that they should have replaced the tooling and molded all the caps in clear high-density polyethylene. But uh, that didn't happen, and I think it may happen in the future. Let's hope it does. Certainly in, in integrated design, it should be thought through all the way to make sure we'd make the best possible steps. So um, good intentions, but uh, someone hasn't thought this through all the way from, from a technical point of view. So expanding leadership's vision is one of the things you spoke about. You believe that the CRC's leadership must be prepared to shake the foundations of our current waste management system. Any suggestions there? Yes. Uh, so, so the CRC is typically led by universities. So it comes with the approach of universities. Even though they can have strong industrial uh, partners on board, uh, the vision and the goals of the CRC need to be very much reflective of what the industry concerns are because the businesses making plastics packaging and recycling plastics packaging are the ones who, who are the real actors in the field. They are the ones who can make the real changes. and so. What we need to see are the, uh, the policies and projects that are selected that really, really will make a difference. And in this case, we have a whole waste management uh, chain to consider. And it starts with the design of packaging, which we, we spoke on briefly. And brand owners really need to think deeply about the way they make packaging. And I'll give a quick example. When you recycle high-density poly polyethylene as an example, uh, when you look at what's coming in from the consumer's uh, households, we get yellow bottles, pink bottles, white bottles, blue bottles, green bottles. But when you ask the um, brand owners what color plastic they would like to have as a recycled material, oh, they all say, oh, we want natural. In other words, plastics with no pigment. And, and I ask, well, how much how much uh, polymer do you put on the market uh, with no pigment? Oh, none. So how do they expect the recyclers to actually create 
you know, natural colored materials with no pigments when they don't put any into the marketplace. You know, my comment to them is, well, if you put colored plastics into the marketplace, you've got to accept colored plastics back. In other words, all of your packaging will be gray. And of course, they're horrified at this, this suggestion. So this is a very fundamental thing. So the CRC needs to, you know, ask the hard questions of the business world to say, if you want a circular economy, if you want recyclability, you're going to have to drop pigments from your, from your packaging. This is extremely radical. But of course, if we're clever, we can actually use this to, an, to our advantage. So for example, um, we could allocate colored packaging for non-consumer products. In other words, the household cleaning agents, the detergents uh, and, and shampoos and so on. And then we could make food packaging natural or white. So in sorting of packaging, we can use color as a code for food. So natural and white is food. All the pastel colors are non-food. All of a sudden, we would have a big separation. And then, of course, anything that's toxic. So, for example, anything that comes out of the garage or the garden shed with, with household chemicals in them, then they can be pigmented black. And, of course, that gives us very simple ways of excluding materials that are potentially harmful out of the, the consumer recycling stream. Now, th these are quite radical proposals. But they're the sort of things that the CRC can propose because it'll have a big forum of business world, government, uh, local industry, uh, local government, I mean, uh, all, all in the one room, and they can consider these things. And, of course, if we're really serious, we can make the changes. We can still have decoration on the outside with sleeves or labels or, or other formats where consumers can get all the information they need. But if we're really serious, we might need to think about how packaging is put forward to make it truly recycling friendly. And if I just give one example, which is happening right now, Coca-Cola have changed their Sprite bottles from green to natural, which is a big boost to the recycling of clear PET. Just very recently, they've now said they're going to take the labels off. So there'll be no labels on Sprite bottles. They'll just simply have an embossing on the outside and a, and a coloured cap. So all of a sudden, you'll have basically naked bottles, um, bottles which will have no glue, no label, so highly efficient to recycle and giving the best purity. So these are things that brand owners understand, but not all brand owners are prepared to accept. Well, I think in the case of Sprite, because they're going in first, it's a very recognizable embossing on their bottle, those bubbles. They've got that advantage. And they're not going in to compete with a bunch of other naked bottles. At this point, they're the only naked bottle. So from a branding point of view, it's clever. It's market leading. It makes sense. I just can't see a shelf of naked bottles in the future, though, can you? Well, <laughs> We could, perhaps. And maybe it's all in the cap. And we scan a little code on the cap that tells us what we're looking at. <laughs> well, we can. Um we can also uh, do other clever things uh, for for detection and so on, but I think that's really where marketing can have a bit of a play in the innovation space about how they connect with with consumers. And you know, and if we talk about labels, there are labels that detach very simply in hot water, and these labels have been around for a long time in the beer industry. Uh, they've emerged recently 
for for plastics packaging. So these labels are very clever. Um, they basically have a uh, a polymer label that shrinks slightly when um, it's exposed to hot water. One, one version shrink, one version expand. And what happens is they peel off the, the package and they separate with the adhesive. So the, the label, the ink, and the adhesive all come away in hot water uh, very simply. And that is usually designed to separate out from the process by sink float techniques. So these sort of things are available. So you could have friendly packaging, but of course, you know, from a recyclist point of view, uh, a labelless bottle is is a big plus and, and a great advantage. So we'd like to see more more things like that, and a clear cap as well, by the way. Yes, <laughs> and all made from poly- polypropylene, not mixtures of high density and polypropylene, which we currently see on the market. So, uh, what are you saying? That is that Sprite bottle? What is the material for the Sprite bottle? Though is that not PET? It is PET. Yeah. Uh, the cap. The caps are typically polypropylene uh, for uh, many applications, but they are also high-density polyethylene for others as well. So, And you tend to get a mix uh, in the recycling stream. So if you think of the hundreds of thousands of tons of uh, PET bottles that are made and recycled, we, we have about 140,000 tons of PET in Australia. Every, every bottle will have a cap and a closure. If we mix the two types of plastic, we end up having a collection of high density and polypropylene in the waste stream. Now, that is very difficult to separate out. It can be done, but it's difficult. Um, And that means that mixture of caps goes to lower value applications. So it means it's not really circular, but it would be great if everyone says, let's switch to high density, you know, 100%, or let's switch to polypropylene, then that material would have excellent properties and we then could go cap to cap, which at the moment is not really capable. Of, uh, it's not really possible to do that. So that's a limitation created by designers. And the, and we need industry integration as well. Mm. So a, a facility like uh, Circular Plastics Australia PET that's currently receiving bottles uh, from PET bottles from the container deposit schemes, which um, I've got to like, that is going really well in Australia as a a concept. People are embracing it. They're receiving them cap on in some cases. So there are some caps going into the system. How are they achieving that bottle to bottle PET if they've got a bit of cap going in there? So caps come away from PET bottles very easily because what they do is they they, they singulate all the bottles, first of all, to sort them. Then they put them through a granulator. So all the bottles are granulated and the caps get granulated at the same time. PET is heavier than water. And the caps, whether they're high-density polyethylene or polypropylene, both float. So in the washing operation, um, there's, a, there's a step uh, after initial washing where they separate out things in water. So all the floating items get taken to one side. That's the high density in polyethylene. All the PET sinks and that gets taken off for processing. So no drama about the PET, but the caps and the labels all get taken off at that that level. And there are markets for them, but they are low value markets. So it's recyclable with lower value as opposed to being circular. So what we really want, you know, a, you know, a challenge is 
let's make these materials circular and it would be great to go bottle to bottle and cap to cap. So there's a challenge that, you know, the universities could work on and say, well, how do we do that? And often it can come to a very simple decision like designing it for, for one material. Unfortunately, high-density polyethylene and polypropylene have different shrinkage rates. So even though you can switch uh, materials, they'll end up coming out different sizes. And, of course, that means they won't fit the caps, or the, the bottles, uh, very easily. So you, you have to design everything to be you know, made for a particular polymer. So one of the key suggestions that you made when you were thinking about um, the leadership of the CRC and how they should expand their vision, um, you suggest that there should be an establishment of an advanced sorting center located in an industrial setting where the business world and academia can run trials in an industrial environment. So tell me about your vision around that. Okay, this is really quite important. One of the biggest challenges in the recycling of plastics is the separation into individual streams of material. So, for example, uh, when we put things into the yellow bin for recycling, we've got PET, high-density polyethylene, polypropylene, and other materials in there as well. And so the separation has to happen very accurately. And the business world, when they design products, often don't have anywhere where they can test these packages to see how they can be recycled. And so what I'm suggesting is if we had a full-scale facility that reflects what happens in every sorting center, then manufacturers and brand owners could actually come to the sorting center and trial the sortability of their products. Then they'll know 100% that it is indeed recyclable or that there are problems. So this doesn't exist in Australia. People have to send their materials typically to Europe to do this, or they have to find some time on an existing facility somewhere else. And that might be, it might be too confidential uh, for new product development to, to actually do that. So if we have a dedicated sorting center, we can then start to investigate some of the newer technologies that are being uh, developed. So, for example, the use of digital digital marking on packaging, uh, the use of fluorescent markers on packaging, where we can actually separate materials based on other aspects. So, for example, with fluorescent markers, we've been, we've been able to separate injection-molded uh, polypropylene from thermoform polypropylene by putting different markers on the packaging. So, and, and there are many other aspects to sorting which are indeed very exciting because we can actually segregate materials more accurate, accurately, separating food from non-food. So the research scope for a sorting centre is very significant because it will address some of the key challenges facing the circular economy. So separation is key. And instead of trying to have long delays in going to Europe, to have these tests done. We need, it, we need it here so our product developers and recyclers and brand owners can do all their testing locally. And I think if we put it into an industrial setting, then it will run under industrial conditions. And of course, it takes a, a bit of imagination to do that and, and a lot of cooperation, but I think it's completely feasible. So Ed, you talk about transformation not being possible without us facing some hard questions. What are the elephants in the room that we aren't discussing enough? Okay, so Lindy, one of the big issues is the way we think about waste. And in, in my sort of vocabulary, waste 
should be a word that we wouldn't use. We should be talking about resource and resource recovery, and we should be talking about minimizing the loss of resources. So every time I see a bin, I think that's the wrong thing we should have. You know, it shouldn't be called bin or trash or litter. It should be res a resource recovery facility. You know, even even the bins we see on the street should be considered um, as a resource recovery uh, component. At the moment in Australia, we see as much recyclable material in the red bin as we do in the yellow bin. We actually lose lots of recyclable materials to landfill every day. And so in the, in the industry sector, we should be developing technologies to actually tackle our waste stream and recover everything we can from that waste stream to create new materials for the circular economy. So that's a difficult one because we, we, we pay lip service to our waste and recyclables and we haven't really taken on board that we should be using the recyclable stream as a, a route for new packaging, yet we can. The technologies are there, but we haven't really tackled this issue of treating those materials as a scarce resource or a carbon efficient resource. Now, so, so that I think is a big one. In Europe, we see great examples of that happening. For example, in the Netherlands, everything that's put into the recycling stream gets recycled. The so-called waste stream gets um, resorted once again. So they sort it, they extract all the useful materials, metal, plastics, glass, and then organics are go to anaerobic digestion. They get the methane out of that. They use it for energy. So all the resources are fully extracted. We don't just bury them. So that is a difficult one for the waste industry. Waste industry would need to reinvest into tackling that. But then it comes back to the householder because the householders are quite obviously uh, lazy, shall we say, uh, or uneducated about what they're doing. Maybe we should be charging households more for for their landfill because at the moment we give small red bins and big yellow bins which is a good step but maybe we should say we're going to charge you for your red bin so really take out your your um uh recyclables and put them into the yellow bin you know, the, the, these are hard questions for the industry and coming back to the overall picture um we need to be really conscious about how much waste we create and we and dispose of um and the world creates huge volumes of waste, you know, coming out of a planet uh, at great carbon cost. Every time we dig into the ground to take the resources out, we're creating carbon emissions. So recycling these materials will help us on the carbon efficiency journey. You know, we have to hit this um, these carbon targets. We're already seeing 2023 as the hottest year on record. You know, this this year, I'm here in Australia. We're getting temperatures of 45 and 50 degrees, where you know people and animals can't live. You know, we really have to address these bigger issues of carbon emissions. And I think in the waste sector, we have a big contribution to make, uh, and we we can we can do it with technology. And um, to start to wrap up here, one of the very strong points that comes through is that. We don't need to come up with a world first. We need to let industry's biggest pain points lead the way. So we're not looking for inventing a new wheel as such, are we, Ed? That's right. As I've said earlier on, there are many things that we can do to address the current blockages to the circular economy. We talked about simple things like pigmentation. There are other things uh, that can be addressed. For example, the discoloration that occurs in the recycling of plastics, 
um, the use of chemical recycling to recover these materials. These are really all important points. Uh, yes, the research is going on globally. In some cases, Australia is leading uh, in this area with Australian technology showing the way. And so we don't really have to uh, focus on finding brand new solutions, um, but we really need to apply ourselves to solve these big issues that are currently um, a, a waste of resource and also high carbon emissions. And so uh, I think many small steps could add up to big impacts on the recycling of plastics. And th there are many th challenges out there already waiting for this CRC to start work on. And, and we look forward to them being very productive and also bringing together the business world, which often thinks itself as separate from the university and research area, and universities who perhaps also like to think of brand new things rather than, say, solving the industry problems. But I think the CRC has that big potential to bring all these together and start working on this really important area. And of course, they've got 10 years and, and good funding to achieve those goals. And so, you know, I'm looking forward to seeing that being successful. Well, so are we. We are going to follow this with great interest, of course, because they'll be acting not just for Australia, but for the world. Anything that gets discovered or um, indeed perfected here can, of course, be replicated as we do embrace other technologies too. Ed, thanks for joining us. It's been an absolute pleasure as always. Thank you, Lindy. And uh, you finished with very wise words. Thank you. Well, thanks, Ed. Thanks, Lindy. And of course, thanks to our audience for joining us today. Don't forget, if you enjoyed what you've heard, you can like us on iTunes as this helps others discover our show. We'll be back in the not too distant future with another informative discussion. But until then, have a great day. The PKN Podcast is produced by Southern Skies Media on behalf of PKN Packaging News, owned and published by Yaffa Media. The views of the people featured on this podcast do not necessarily represent those of PKN Packaging News, Yaffa Media, or the guest's employer. The contents are copyright by Yaffa Media. If you wish to use any of this podcast audio, please contact us via the website or send an email to editor at packagingnews.com.au. You can subscribe to this podcast via your preferred platform and read all the latest news on Australia's packaging industry at packagingnews.com.au. You've been listening to a Yappa Media Podcast. Southern Skies Media.